Welcome to What's Left, the weekly political discussion challenging the mainstream left. I'm Eduardo Barca with co-hosts, teacher and socialist and writer Jessica, and community organizer socialist Kenzie Pera. We are online at what-s-left.webno.com. You can find that link to our blog in the episode notes, as well as we encourage folks to please subscribe, rate, review, turn on your notifications, and share every episode where you found this episode. Thank you. All right. We are joined today by a uh, previous guest of ours on What's Left. Uh, we are joined by Deanira, uh, a mission local mom uh, in San Francisco, California. And we will be discussing uh, a, to a topic about um, education, um, the perils of, of education, uh, issues that are happening post, uh, uh, well, we're still in COVID times, but post the lockdowns since the reopening of schools. And, um, and we're hoping to discuss uh, some of the issues specific to uh, Day Anita that has been happening across in many schools uh, in, the, in, in the USA. And it's, we're going to use it as a micro, is it, to look at as a microcosm of a larger issue of that's happening in uh, many schools, especially in public education, um, post everything that we've been discussing around um, the privatization and public and private uh, partnerships of education, online learning, and as well as all the um, issues around um, uh, the COVID lockdowns. So uh, anything else that I might have missed, Andy or Dea, that you want to add? Maybe just that Tea's with uh, Comité de, de, la, de las Madres Latino, Latin America, Latin Americanos. Yes. Yeah. And Thank you for that's a group of, of mothers and families that she's been organizing with for several years now that are also being impacted by, and who came together out of the impact of the, the school closures uh, on, their, on their students and all the Zoom and, and stuff like that. Um, but I think that, <clears throat> that she has a story to tell specifically about what's happening at her son's school at Everett Middle School that I think would be good to talk about as an example of what's happening in education. Right. Uh, so should we begin there? Maybe that's a good place to start. Maybe Dea can sort of, you can fill us in on what's been happening in San Francisco Unified School District schools and specifically to your school that, again, like I said, it's sort of uh, a reflection of what has happened, what's been happening in other schools. Sure. Thank you. Thank you, Eduardo, and thank you all for inviting me. Um, well, it's a really sad story um, about what is happening uh, at the school district, at the public school system here in San Francisco. And I think probably is what is happening everywhere. But this situation is impacting even more to the, to the immigrant community, to the brown and black students, but in particular here in the school where we are having our students to the new immigrants, to the new Latino immigrants. Um, well, after the, the school closures, we this is the you know the year that our kids, especially the middle school kids and high school kids, went to the in-person learning, you know, in-person school um, after whole, a year and a half of 
lockdown and being isolated and being on Zoom for their education. It, it's since the beginning of, of the year, I mean, our school, just to give you a little bit of uh, context, the school where my son is going is here in the Mission District. It has 70% of the students, um, Latino students, 44% of them are considered English learners. Um, we have, I think, like maybe 10% of students, um, African-American students and another 10% uh, white students and then the rest of different races. So um, basically it is a school for Latino students from the low income community, immigrant community. Is it was very at the beginning of the year. Um, it, it, you know, we we had we all were excited. The kids were so excited because they were going back to school after a long, long time isolated. Um, by that time, the kids were already suffering from the consequences of the of the impact of being being isolated alone and a prolonged screen exposure. So when they, they got to the school, I mean, it was still the, the COVID restrictions in place. They did not allow parents in the building. Up until now, they do not allow parents in the building. So we didn't we didn't know we really didn't know what's happening how is everything inside the school everything that we knew about uh, the incidents and everything that was happening was through the, the kids telling us what's going on right so of course they you know they are coming to the school they think this is the new school especially for my son he was transferring from elementary school to middle school during the pandemic so this was basically a new everything for him. Um, he, you know, for them, this, basically this was a new experience at school. They do not have, you know, things were happening from the beginning of the school year, fights, altercations. And he would tell me about that, especially in the classrooms. Um, and it was really, really intense to the point that teachers were, were resigning or leaving. His PE teacher, his physical education teacher, uh, um, I think when he was terminated basically at the beginning of the year, this happened in September. Um, but we, we didn't know, of course, that we have not informed of anything and kids and parents were waiting to see when the teacher is gonna come back. We just knew the teacher have taken some time off, but we, you know, we were not informed about what was going on. Um, then the time was passing. My kid could tell me, no, we don't have a teacher. We don't have a PE teacher. Uh, we are being sent to speed cl split classes and we, we're not doing anything. And then the same situation could happen with the with his elective uh, for music. And, and he would come and tell me about fights inside the classroom, about you know the behavior of the kids. And I was like, 
this is not right. I mean, what I'm listening, what I'm what I'm hearing is this. This doesn't sound like a school, right? I mean, I was so surprised, and I'm not being able to be in the in the building. So by that time, that was on around November. So I started sending emails, and I started sending emails to the district to the. Uh, to, to the commissioners, to the Board of Education, going to the meetings uh, and speaking, I mean, making comments and asking for help. Um, by then only the commissioner, the ex-commissioner, Alison Collins would respond, would reply, and she actually came to the school and meet with us and she helped us to facilitate connecting with the central office people. And we, able, we were able to have a meeting with them. This was around November. By then, this music teacher resigned and she connected with me. Um, and I was, you know, kind of very involved, helping, trying to help the teacher to bring um, resources and to help with, you know, more music class, drum, circle. I wanted to get involved because my son is very into music and he has been taking classes out of the you know out of the system with, with privately so he he's really he's he's really he, he has developed uh his music skills right but nothing could happen because the the teacher resigned and she had a conversation with me when we had that conversation she um she told me about everything that's happening inside the building so i was aware of what was going on because of her. So then I, I even, you know, I started even more my advocacy, just I started um, reporting and getting these emails and getting connected with more moms that were having the same issues with other teachers. So we started having a, a, a group on WhatsApp, an Everett Moms group. And we were able to have a meeting with the central office people to, to trying to address the situations. But they, they did not. By then, by November, we already uh, identified that the problem was that the leadership, that the principal is not is not a right fit for us, not for a school. She doesn't speak Spanish. She doesn't understand our, our culture, our, our our community. She's not a. She's not even. She's not meeting with the parents that have complaints. They go to meet uh, with her, asking, requesting to meet her, and she doesn't even. Um, she she was not attending the request from Latino parents, so we we uh, ask that was our request back then in November that we need to have a new leadership that that's not the right person for us. Uh, to the point that I um, you know based on everything that happened, I you know I said I feel discriminated because she's not really paying attention to us and she's not listening to us. But I am noticing that she is um, working with the white parents and attending what they want and, you know, just what it is, the system, right? So I started seeing the differences uh, between what the this set of students have, but not the other students, and especially mine that have not, he wasn't given a, any opportunity like other students, right? So, um <sighs> I know we noticed during those meetings that um, the people at central office got really they, they got really mad when we were 
requesting a change in leadership. So we realize that something is not right and something is going on at the central office and they will not change the principle because there are strong connections right there. Then we um, talking with more moms, especially moms that have been at Everett School before, they could tell us that they didn't want that principle, that principle is new, you know, all those stories. So we knew that we are in front of um, something different there. We kept advocating for safety, for um, fixing the problems that we have, especially, especially the communication. They could not let us to communicate between parents. We have not had a communication between parents, between parents and teachers. The administration could not talk to us and could not uh, pay attention to us. So things were escalating because they were not fixing anything. And thus, uh, when we said this is intentional because they are not doing what they had to do to fix these things, right? To address the safety problems, to let parents to get involved, even though we have been, you know, I have been going to the school every day. There are a group of parents, Latino parents, that have been going every day to the school. Um, and have been trying to to bring programs, free programs. I have personally, I have been advocating for for uh, more resources, outreaching organizations that were willing to help, but they could not let us um, bring the programs. So we clear, and then we started seeing that other schools are having this. Other, other parents at other schools, they were little by little having events, having, um, you know, the, the parents getting organized uh, to be volunteers, to help the, the teachers, I mean, to help the school, not to, to help rebuild the communities, but they would not let us do that at our site. Um, then we realized that, I mean, of course, I realized this is something else. They really are doing this to dismantle the school. They wanna, in my opinion, they, for me, they, wanna, they want to close the school and they basically want to leave um, our kids of color without education. And this is part of they were trying to do before because when they close the schools and they, you know, the, the prolonged time, even though it wasn't necessary, having the schools closed, it was basically the, the attempt to destroy the in-person education and to, to, you know, to put the education on digital, on Zoom. So I saw this um, as, you know, as just another attempt to do that. They couldn't do it as a whole for everyone because the parents organized and, and fought for it. But they, they decided to do, you know, in a small scale. And of course, starting with the schools uh, where most students are people of color, you know, brown and black students. If you don't provide the resources to the communities that were more impacted, were more impacted by the pandemic, of course, you're gonna have those problems, right? Of course, you're gonna have those challenges. And they didn't do it. And I asked them at the central office, I told them, you put you put it together, the newcomers, you know, kids that do not have the language, kids, um, kids uh, that are bilingual, and then the kids from 
from the English speaking community and all together, right? And even, you know, the African American kids from different neighborhoods that everybody knows they do have um, issues. And not, not from now, but historically, I think. So, of course, you are putting all that together because it's intentional. You want to have an outcome out of this, which is the violence, if you are not providing the resources, the appropriate resources. On top of that, we have had the COVID as an excuse to oppress people because they have using that not um, to you know, to be careful and to, to take care of the health of our students, but number one, to keep um, imposing the vaccine and then to test uh, the testing because there's a business for them. And, um, and then, you know, no, on top of that, we don't have teachers. Uh, they have been, you know, not taking time off. And we understand some teachers, of course, are getting sick. Others are getting so overwhelmed. Um, they cannot, you know, they, I, we understand they cannot be working in this under these conditions, right? It's not safe for them to work under these conditions if they are just leaving these students um, just doing whatever they want without any consequences and control, not, not a structure, not anything, right? They were leaving. So we have like 10 teachers that have left. Um, in my opinion, based on everything that I have seen, they they have been creating the conditions to have violence at school. Um, they they know they knew what is the population and the problems uh, that these communities have been facing. So they what they did is just to let them with nothing, so the violence could explode, and that's happening with no teachers or substitutes that don't care about our students. They don't do anything. You know, for the PE teacher, my son could tell me, I could ask him, what's the name of the teacher? I don't know. How you don't know? I don't know. He doesn't do anything. He's just sit there, you know, some side, aside there and he's not doing anything with us. So I don't know what is his name. Um, I could have to be, sending emails to the principal, to the assistant principals, because they do have so many people there. They have student advisors, they have counselors, they have social workers. I mean, they, they have so many people and, and what they do, and we don't even know what they do, right? So I have to send an email to someone at, to the point that I, I started going there to the office and saying, okay, what so what do you do? I mean, what's your role? I need to know what is your role so I can send an email or I can communicate with someone that is telling me something because I don't even know who is, what's your role, right? And no one is answering anything and the teachers would not answer. I mean, it, it, it was a mess, a total mess. Um, and, you know, it's just... Based on my own experience working at um, the public system and the health system, I know that when there are many cookers in the kitchen, as you know, they said, nothing gets done. And that was happening here. So I was advocating so hard, but we didn't have any response to the point that we had just two days ago, a kid that was hospitalized with injuries 
as the news said, um, life-threatening injuries. But this is this is intentional. This is totally intentional. And as I have said to some of the reporters that have been asking me, have been interviewing me, I said I could, um, you know, it is hard to see that this is happening. This segregation system is still in place and the oppression system under the leadership of an African-American superintendent and a mayor, right? African-American mayor here in, in, in San Francisco. It is sad, but that's the truth. Um, and the Latinos are the ones that are being, you know, targeted now. I am curious, Dea, are, are you in contact with other parents um, <clears throat> whose kids were there prior to the pandemic? Um, one of those is Olga, uh, part of the la, la, the committee, the Latina Moms Committee. Um, she is her kids are sixth graders, so they are you know coming from from Cesar Chavez, who is the feeder school. That's the only parent that we are together from before. And I only asked that because uh, I mentioned this earlier. I actually went to. Everett Middle School myself as an immigrant uh, kid, you know, and, and I do, you know, when I was reading this article, um, I, I don't recognize any of that. <laughs> you know, I, I definitely, uh, there were problems, obviously, you know, immigrant parents, um, there were some troubled kids, there was violence occasionally, you know, but not to this level, <laughs> you know, and, and obviously, I think you made reference to um, the conditions, right, like, you know, poverty and and uh, you know, uh, and you know, um, I don't, I don't know how many parents are really active, you know, in, in terms of their kids' education, because I do know that you know that makes a difference in my own life. You know, my mother being very present and having the ability, the financial ability, to be present and, and actually do what you do, you know, mm -hmm. talk to teachers and you know ask questions and just be present, uh, shows that you know there's someone that cares about these kids. So I am curious about, you know, your group and like what your sense is of other parents, how many parents are actually able to be involved in this? You know, is it like a minority or, you know, what, what's your sense of that? Um, oh, I, I think because they have keep, kept us divided, they don't let us to be together and communicate because of the same reason. We really don't know, but I know by this Spring uh, time, 30 kids left the school. So that tells you that parents are involved. They they want to be, but, but we, we are not allowed and we are divided because they, they don't let us, you know, to be together. So I know that many parents have been going to the district to complain. I know the parents have been going to the office to yell at the secretary and the people that are there asking for the principal, but you know, she is in her office, is a walkie talkie uh, principal, she doesn't go out. She's just, she doesn't expose herself to this, right? She's just letting everything just to, to go down in the school and the kids are the ones that are getting hurt. Um, so I know that there are many, many parents, but uh, we just haven't been able to be together. They really are controlling that much. And the sad thing is that, uh, I, you know, sometimes I have to be using because 
this is true. The system is privileging the white parents, the white kids, I mean, the white people in general, because it's a segregation system. But um, they, they are not the only ones who are getting, you know, the benefits and they are not the only ones who are um, discriminating against the, the, the immigrant, the Latino immigrants. We have the Chicano people. We have the Mexican-Americans or, or I don't know wherever they are, but the, the ones that are born here um, that are doing this to us. Because that's true. I mean, we tend to say, and, you know, these this people are also using that, always going against the, the, the white, white supremacy, white privilege, but they hate immigrants. They hate us. You know, and that's that's something that no one is saying, right? But that's the truth. Chicanos hate immigrants, Latino immigrants. They are very discriminatory against us. And the problem that I see right now there at school, I saw it already before during the when we were advocating for the reopening, the people from the unions. They are really, I mean, they are really the worst. And we have at, the, at that school, we have, you know, people that are involved in the unions for a long time. So that's, that's what is happening there. The question I had was just about your child's, like, experience. Like, I don't know, like, is he afraid to go to school? Like, what's his, how much of this is he kind of aware of or like what like how does he describe daily mm-hmm. life in this system he he's not afraid as i said i think the the kids that have been picked and the, the ones that are more impacted are the the english learners are the immigrant kids the newcomers because of the language barrier they have been bullied you know kids make fun of them because they they you know they don't speak English very well. Uh, they are, tend to be more isolated and they are shy. So it's easy, right, for, for the, the bulliers to be attacking these kids. My kid it does not, he has not suffered that. And um, I think, you know, his dad and myself uh, have been really there, uh, I guess, teaching him some you know, life skills, he he has many friends. He he has a very large group of friends and he really likes that. He he was very after being alone for so long, he had like he could tell me, Mom, I have like maybe we are like 20, 20 kids in my group, right? So because of that, I think he's he has not suffered that because, and he's engaging, you know, in, in they are playing, playing basketball. At the beginning, whatever they did, it was fun. And it was, you know, they were kind of getting entertaining themselves. But then he could say, he could tell me, you know, it's it's very boring. We are not doing anything. He basically has been my guide. He could tell me, mom, you know, the the, the substitute that came, uh, he's not doing anything. He's just, you know, basically standing up at the door, making sure that we are not going out and we are going out we want to go out and we are telling them 
actually, you know, one of the students would tell the teacher, uh, because he looks like a Spider-Man, hey, Spider-Man, let, let, let us go out, things like that, right? I mean, they were just <laughs> having that experience. And I go like, oh my God, what is this that he's telling me, no? Um, and that's the reason why I have been advocating because I, I, would, I, would, I would think this, if they don't do something, this is going to escalate and this is not going to get, you know, this is going to get ugly. And I could be advocating and could be um, going to the, to the meetings asking for, for help. So in that sense, he could have like, no, a substitute because sometimes he could get just split to other classes and because the kids were bring that were brought to another class the class was disrupted kids could get fights there because there are more kids i mean it, it was a mess right so in that sense he and he was not with the kids that engage in fights he is just it's a big school 70 percent of the kids are latinos so we had a small group of kids african-americans who could be fighting with with among the, the African Americans and the Latino kids, mostly the newcomers that also would be fighting. Um, these kids that are coming from, you know, Central America and the conditions that they are going through. Um, but I, I was foreseeing that if we do not do something, this is going to escalate. And they were trying to push for a racial uh, fights. You know, they were trying to make this racial thing, and, and it is happening right now. It has not gone too far because of the moms, because me and the other moms that have been making noise, basically. Uh, and I could, you know, in my emails, I could tell them, you know, we are trying to prevent a tragedy. We don't want anyone to get killed. And I could say that to just last week to one of the commissioners that met with us, I said, because they, they are always saying everything takes time. Uh, we are waiting for the superintendent um, change. I mean, the new superintendent. I said, no, we cannot wait. This You need to pay attention to this. What is going to happen in, if someone gets killed in the meantime, right? And just a week after that, we have a kid that um, was at the hospital. They have been trying to cover everything and they have been trying to get to the end of the year. So, you know, at the end of the year, that's it. We, everything goes home and nothing happens. Everything gets fresher after the summer and we go back again to the same BS, right? Yeah, that's, that's, that's what is happening. And yeah, it's sad because there are staff there that they don't care about the kids. And we feel, I know there are, teachers that care and they they um, want to teach but there are other teachers that really feel we feel they don't care about the kids they you know they care just about their jobs that's it yeah do you want to say anything about the media coverage because I know like in the letter that you sent around to us um you talked a little bit about that but I think that might be helpful too just in terms of public perception and how that might be colored by like the journalist who is covering the issue we're trying to. Um, 
those I, I don't know maybe you, you haven't been able to hear what other coverage news are out there right now so basically that was last week and it caused some kind of controversy but after the Monday incident well, that the kid um, had to go to the hospital there are many other news that have been covering this and I you know just today between yesterday and, and today I have been interviewed but three or four different um, news channels so you know at this point they have been trying to cover it they have been trying to to say that this is rumors that this is yeah I don't know who knows what they are saying but it's they cannot cover it anymore this is real this is true and this is part of um, the system that is completely broken um, it's not working for us and we cannot keep, uh, we, we don't want that anymore. It's That's it, it's over. It's not working for us and we don't want that anymore. We need to have a different system for us now because we cannot keep waiting any longer. Our kids have lost two years of learning. On top of that, they have been um, inflicted trauma by the negligence and the lack of action um, in the face of this a violence incident so that's it and it's, it seems I'm not alone it's not happening on, happening only at Everett the school is happening at other schools and little by little moms are calling me and they are speaking up of course they are very afraid they are immigrants today a mom called me and she was crying she said I know son but he doesn't tell me but I have seen he's coming with his things broken today his cell phone was you know is broken I don't know what happened things like that are happening and she said I am I am afraid to go to the police to report this and um, you know it is against the immigrants I mean it's, it's the school is has been letting this situation to go that far so Within the school, this is creating an anti-immigrant um, sentiment, an anti-immigrant environment, because the kids are getting insulted, uh, referring that they are immigrants. Um, and this is not this is, is not right. This is the policy of the school district, because that's how we are getting get treated, and you know, anywhere you go in the system, at, you know, at less degree, not that crude and cruel like what is happening here right now but it is that's that's the way that's the way we are treated by the system because it's a segregation system and this needs to change because it's not working anymore my last job i worked with a kid that was still in high school um, and he's also a kid with a mother that's very involved in his education and um, you know, to the degree that she's modified her job, you know, to be able to be present at school. Um, and so this kid had a number of incidents of violence against him. Uh, and, and the kid confessed to me that, you know, he, at first when he came back from the COVID lockdowns, you know, they were nervous, then they became, you know, at ease and then violence, you know, started erupting. And so the kid could not wait to be out of high school. You know, he was a senior in high school and he, he told me multiple times that he did not feel safe. You know, there was a time. Um, and so 
my, I guess the, the point that I'm trying to make and ask is what relationship do you see, you know, with like this violence in, in, in the lockdown, lockdowns, you know, in this isolation that you speak of, like, do you see, you know, how do you see that relationship? Um, of course, our kids are um, traumatized uh, and the mental and emotional health uh, has been impacted, not, not only uh, their, the kids' emotional and mental health. We all are impacted. We all have mental and emotional problems because of the lockdown. Um, so I, I, we, when we talk to the moms, we know that the teachers are sick. We know that the adults are sick, but the the denial and it trying to come back after a pandemic and after the lockdown and everything that happened and keep doing the same thing that the system was doing before the pandemic, that's the problem. That's the issue, right? Because they are like, okay, they are they are back and they are gonna pick everything up from one year and a half and not thinking and considering about the mental and emotional health and especially for these kids the most impacted you know black and african latinos that's the problem so the problem is the 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 adults the problem is the system and the system are made of people and you know they we still are trying to conform we are still trying to maintain the status quo because we're trying to maintain our jobs. We're not thinking about our kids. The system, of course, is going to, um, they, they, they want to maintain that system um, and they are doing everything they can to maintain the segregation system and basically the corruption because it's so corrupted. The, the, the district is the system is completely rotten. It's so corrupted. I don't know what else to say. It's, it's just that we are the problem. We as a society are the problem because we are not seeing the kids as part of our society and protecting them, right? People who don't have kids don't get involved. They don't care. And that's it. It's not happening to them. So it's, it's, it's the capitalistic society that we live in that we don't care about the other you know it's so individualistic that you you don't even care about the other kids you just care about your kid and this is something that i think they are so maybe so mad and they don't understand because here you have this mom that the kid is not suffering from that. Yes, my kid is not is not being given the opportunity to, to practice sports. He's not being given the opportunity to go to field trips. He is not given the opportunity to go to the mission science worship. I mean, basically they are excluding my kid from all of that. He really doesn't care because he said, I mean, that's boring anyway. Um, but that's exclusion and, and they are this they, they are doing this in retaliation of me advocating for the reopening and now advocating for this and exposing what is happening there, right? And they don't understand, I guess they don't understand why I have to be doing this when my, my own kid is not uh, being affected by, you know, it's not being hurt. But 
I cannot think other way. Be, and that's, you know, that's the reason why I'm so grateful that I'm not from here. I'm from a, another place. I'm from outside because I have that collective way of thinking that I want to have the, the environment, not only my kid being safe, but the environment where he is safe and everybody is safe. So they all can, you know, they can have a community where everybody is safe, the teachers, the staff, the kids, the parents, not just my kid, right? That's what is happening at that school. The, the white kids are safe. You know, the school has double the standard. As long as the white kids are fine, the parents don't complain, the white parents don't complain, then it's fine. Nothing happens. Because if a white kid gets hurt, then, you know, everybody knows what's going to happen at the district, right? You cannot have a parent, white parent complaining because that can be, they don't want that. As long as they are okay and those parents don't complain because they don't complain, they are fine. The rest, you know, they just can go to hell. And that's not right. That's not right. That's not the way of thinking of Latino community. The parents that are uh, fighting, the parents that are advocating, the moms who are advocating, not all of them, but the, the ones that are advocating, we are doing it because we want to have all our kids safe and all our kids having the education they deserve. What they did to us right now, on top of the problems during the pandemic, now we have this trauma of you know, in-person school with violence and fights and, and not teachers. I mean, basically it's, it's a mess, it's a mess. And our kids are getting, the, the, the pay, are paying for the consequences of that. And it's not right. Well, one thing I would say that you said, Dea, um, uh, was that what was it? when they came back to school, like it was back to as business as usual. And I, that's not what, I don't think that's what happened. Um, um, when they came back, everyone had to wear masks. When they came back, yeah. teachers had to get COVID-19 tested and, and students were going to be contact traced. If somebody got COVID, then we were going to see who might be near them who had COVID, who had to be quarantined. When they came back, a bunch of students were quarantined. When students came into the building, and I'm speaking from the experience, because I really do agree with what Day is saying, that Everett is being destroyed. But I, in my opinion, the destruction that I'm seeing of Everett it looks similar to what I saw and am hearing has, is happening now at a slower rate at Mission. And then when I talk to Brian, who says that he works for somebody whose Catholic school, parochial school, is disintegrating, I start to go, I, okay, I see. I see that this is not, like because I don't think this is an immigrant thing. Although I do believe, like we said, that, the, that this system, which is collapsing around its ears, I believe intentionally, is going to fall on the heads of black and brown kids first. Mm -hmm. We said that last year when we said the effect was going to be, and that's what we're seeing here. Um, and white kids might think they're getting over, or white parents might think they're getting over, but their system is, is being tanked just as well. And they're they're going to face what they're facing the music already, and it's going to get worse for them as well. Um, but I, it, the thing that I really do believe, um, well, my experience at Mission while I was there was I saw how much I do believe the teachers who came back love the kids, and they would say they did all that whole thing that whole year of remote because they love the kids. I would say that that, that was a backwards love, like, or rather that that's the best I can call it because what they did was intensely harmful and broke the notion of solidarity between teachers and parents because we teachers were essentially saying, 
I'm going to abandon you to keep myself safe. <clears throat> Theor- I mean, theoretically keep myself safe. And you just do what you have to do because I'm not going to be near your kid. Um, no, regardless of what kind of damage it might, it might make for that child. And regardless of the damage it was going to make because the kids wouldn't be around each other. Like we're going to sacrifice a whole year in the name of we're helping you. Like, and I, I get it. I get it when, when the Spanish conquistadors came in and said, we're bringing you religion, how they said we were doing this to save your soul, but slaughter was the result. And so that's, that's how I see this. Um, but the teachers who came in, in mission, who I do believe love the kids, you could smell the fear on them. You could smell the fear they had in relationship to having those kids in the classroom. And you would hear some of them say, these kids aren't masking. The one doesn't keep putting his mask down. Like that's the thing that was, that was. And so with that fabric, the only thing that was holding public education or, or institutional education together was some of the relationships that were formed between teachers and parents and teachers and students. And that's the only thing that was holding it together. And that got stretched apart during that last Mm -hmm. year. And when students became excited about coming back together, they saw that it wasn't coming. It wasn't, it was, it was ripped apart. And so those relationships were torn apart. And as you said, that the, the act of keeping us all divided has produced this result, which I do believe is uh, what did they say last? Remember in the beginning of the lockdowns, they said, guess what? We have these online schools. We don't have any school shooter incidents anymore. Maybe these online schools are going to work. No. Well, now what have they done? They've essentially so destroyed the fabric, made fear such a part of, of institutional education, whether it's public or even in some cases private or charter, that now schools are violent, are even more violent than they were before because of the, the this fear and erosion of, of, of um, relationships that, is, has, that has taken place. And the fact that people are just being contract traced and kicked out or taken out, taken out because they have COVID or taken out because they were near next to somebody and you're away for a week. It's like you're in, you're out. It's complete um dystopian control system and 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 yet we're told this we're doing this for your safety and we're doing this for our safety teachers and teachers supporting it teachers teachers saying that the biggest thing we need is is ppe health and safety equipment of insulators and and we need we need n95 masks are you kidding me do you think that's what we need after a year of remote like and, and so those are the discussions teachers were having and even now the uesf discussion is like when is our paycheck getting in? Like, is it coming in at the right time? Our union is fighting to get paycheck protection and to get you COVID relief time. And it's like, your, your system is being destroyed from inside, you idiots. Yes. And the, the one allies you have, you're not even listening to, and you don't care what they have to say. And you're telling them that, oh, we believe in hope. And you're just trying to racially, you're trying to make it seem like our schools are bad. You're, you're actually accusing Dea and people like that of almost racism because they're saying how unsafe the schools are. And it's not, a, it's basically saying, acknowledge the damage you've done and let's deal with it. And let's start, let's stop dealing, let's stop making this about fear. Now, I think it's too late. I think teachers have so bought in to that, this COVID narrative that it's a wrap. So I don't think there is a way of undoing what it is, but I do believe Dale, what you're, what you're doing is being there and, and speaking out is right. I just don't think there's a way, because this ship is not just being run while I do think it's being run by the World Economic Forum and the institutions are trying to push that, at this point, the unions and teachers are behind every one of these things. They're, they're, they're also pushing, uh, even if they don't even know they're doing it, but their fear, their health focus, their vaccine 
um, insanity with basically thinking they're going to vaccinate all these kids has driven our schools to this point where they are being disintegrated from inside. And I think it's done intentionally. And I think we as teachers are, are been dupes in this. And now we're just being dumb facilitators of destroying an education system that before it had all sorts of problems like it is, but like Kenny said, it is now accelerating. Um, And I do think they're trying to destroy brick and mortar schools and it's going to be worse for immigrant kids first. And it's going to get bad for the rest of us later. Yeah, I agree. Well, I mean, there are several things I think about because I've been, obviously I I, I was a public school uh, student and I was also um, uh, an educator in this, in, in the school district. I supported different schools and I also fostered a child that a former student of mine that went and attended elementary, uh, elementary, middle, and then high school in school. And then he, I, I had him go to a private school um, for different reasons. Um, so I think my experience, just having volunteered at the middle schools and high schools, having interpreted at high school level for, uh, for other students and having um, been my own experience just gives me insight and just having the, the 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 thoughts that I'm going to share because I do all I I echo some of the things that you already both have said and that obviously schools and institutions that the public education is it's obviously a broken system it has been before the pandemic and it will and it continues to be obviously and as we have seen many studies show that schools to prison pipelines this is what that is mm-hmm. because it's all about Pavlov learning right you have to be conditioned in order to do certain things so that you can be a better worker. And if you don't fit the standard, because we, if you just don't fit the standard, then you are then moved on to a more disciplinary uh, education, which that disciplinary education eventually leads you to, well, you're not part of the society, you're going to go to prison instead, because you can't do exactly what we're asking you to do. So all these other people go here and you workers be workers, right? And if you can't fit, then you either get lost in the system or you just go to prison. No, so it's funneling out these students, which tend to be black and brown, not because I think that it's just poverty. It's a comp- it's, it's schools are competition. That's what it is. It's a sports game. It's schools tend to be, um, it used to be more about SATs and ACTs and all of that. No, and, uh, and so you have a bunch of competitive nature. The objective is after 12 years of schooling is to go to university and university is to get a job and to get a career. That is the entire focus of public education and private school as well, because it's just the entire focus of the entire system that we live in. So obviously uh, then you have all these black and brown students who can't compete with people who have higher resources. And so they go into these disability or disabled or special education uh, programs, which are basically just ways to get these children um, labeled because you can't deal with multiple intelligences because we're obviously different uh everyone's different i don't think we all learn standardized in a standardized way right i'm very good with linguistics and i'm very good but i'm not very good with mathematics i mean that's just my nature and you know i and um i my family is really good my mother for example is really great with maths she 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 does maths really well but then you know she struggles with art because it it's too abstract and she just it's not for her and so you know we have you know and some people learn kinesthetically you know they learn physically like my friend jake he learns physically like he has to learn through his experience he can't just learn it through a lecture and so we all learn differently and, and that's not the nature of school so you have people labeling these students as troubled uh defiant 
you are bad or, you know, and then we have all these labels and then they follow them. And then teachers at the, you know this, Andy, because I used to help teachers write these things up. There's a QM folder and every teacher at the end of the school year is supposed to write down your notes. And then the following teacher reads those notes. So then you're then are influenced by what those notes are following you your entire life in school. And so you end up being labeled this way forever, unless a teacher decides they don't want to read that, obviously, but that's hard because you're going to be influenced by what people say. So anyhow, I just think there's a lot of abuse and neglect that was already there, and it was exasperated by the pandemic. And as we've already had an, an episode previous that I shared, my biggest, um, my my anger was, or my, I still have this resentment, este rencor fuerte que tengo adentro de mí, inside me that I have against my former colleagues. And it's that they knew, they know this. And so what we were doing in schools was we were just creating, I think for some of us, at least from my, my point of view, I wasn't trying to, because educate, I wasn't trying to educate students so that they can be competitive. I was trying to make sure I held their humanity in schools. That was my, what I was doing. And that's why I didn't want to be a full-time classroom teacher. I just wanted to be a supportive uh, educational component to schools because I wanted to hold on to this humanity. That was my goal in schools, is to make sure that they held on to the arts, the humanities, to hold on to their emotional, social well-being and get them to resources. But then, so when you work in a school, I, 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 I would tell people, if you can't, like working in a public school is like working in a hospital. It's always got to hit the ground and run. You can't just like, you know, focus on maths, or you can't just focus on language, or you, it's going to be more than that. You're a social worker, you're a parent, you're a mentor, you're all these things. I mean, Andy, you have mentored many students, you know, and those relationships are built. That's what the foundation of our schools are. Well, not the schools and institution, but for teachers who have that love and hope, and I hope they want to do that. But you go offline, you go online, and then those relationships, as you have said, and you know, and Dea has also alluded to it, they're just destroyed because the distance, how are you supposed to have that connection? And then we wonder why kids are dying of suicide, right? Because it's been, as I have just a little statistic here uh, that I want to just say, suicide is the second leading cause of death. It's not COVID. It's not COVID. Suicide is the second leading cause of death among people aged 15 to 24 in the USA. Nearly 20% of high school students report serious thoughts of suicide, and 9% have made an attempt to take their lives, according to the National Alliance of Mental Health, Mental Illness. It's not COVID. It's not COVID. And in San Francisco, people did not die from COVID as the number one cause of death. It was overdosing. And I know former students who have died from overdosing. And these things are picked up by your by your people, adults that are carrying people in your school, such as your social workers, your counselors, your teachers who play all these different hats. And if you're caring enough, you're going to do what you're going to be seeing these signs. But then teachers, I don't know what got into their head. I don't know what happened to them, but they decided to go on, on and then wondering, you know, why students are, are, are acting the way they are right now. It's because I'm sorry to say, if you promoted locking down schools, you're part of that issue. I, I'm just going to say it that way. Whoever watches this, if teachers decide to watch this, you were a contribution to the way our students are now. You are part of that. 
Uh, and I know all of my friends who wanted to lock down schools and even considered locking down schools during the winter of 2001-2022 who wanted to lock down for the rest of this school year, they are also a contribution to that. So uh, they have to be responsible for that. And they will never, as I said it before, they will never admit that they were wrong. That when they said, do you remember, Dea? They said Latinos and Black students do not want to go back to schools. That was false. They got it wrong. And they kept saying it all over Facebook. There's a bunch of videos all over. Chicago teachers said it. You know, uh, San Francisco teachers said it. Oakland teachers said it. Fresno teachers said it. High populations of uh, children of color were in hubs or alternative schoolings because or, or city provided centers. Uh, that were led by non-teachers. I mean, teachers, people who did not have a background in education, who basically just got fingerprinted and made sure they weren't criminals and they didn't know what to do in the midst of all of this. And who were going there here in San Francisco in the hubs? High percentage. Number one, Latinos. Number two, Blacks and all other uh, races after that. I don't know where, where... Where San Francisco teachers, I'll speak to them because I know the statistics here. I don't know where teachers thought Latino students did not want to go back. You organize Latino families. I organize Latino families. We went to churches. Uh, Kenny worked in uh, with organizations. He knew of families that wanted to go back. Yes, there were some students who didn't want to go back. Yes, there were some families who didn't want to go back. I acknowledge all of that, but there were this much, the minority. The majority of us wanted to go back. And teachers lied. That's what they did. That's all they did. They lied. And they said, we didn't want to go back. So that's wrong. And they will never admit it. The union, the people who are my friends who are working in the union, who were recently elected last year, lied. They lied. The vice president lied. He's Latino himself. Frank Lara, I'm sorry, but you're a politician now. So I'm just going to say your name. I'm not going to, I wouldn't say your name if you weren't a politician, but you lied. You're the vice president of the union and you said Latino families did not want to go back to schools. You lied. If the San Francisco Unified School District put out a survey before the reopening of schools, what did the survey show? High percentage of Latino students wanted to go back. High percentage of African-American students wanted to go back. No matter what you said out in the media, you were wrong. And that's it. You were just wrong. And you'll never admit to it. You just never admit to it. And now we're having the second leading cause of death among people are 15 to 24 a contribution to that have been teachers and you have to accept it. I don't think they'll ever acknowledge it and they'll probably attack me some more. They'll think I'm anti-teacher, anti-union, whatever, la, 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 la. They'll always say that. And uh, and then we have, according to the Centers of Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC, between April and October 2020, hospital emergency departments saw a rise in the share of total visits that were from kids for mental health needs. I don't know what people thought about locking down schools. So when we're talking about what's happening at Everett, coming back to this topic, talking about Everett, talking about Mission High School, talking about Cesar Chavez Elementary School, talking about Leonard R. Flynn Elementary School, talking about Bryant Elementary School. These are schools in my mission, in my neighborhood, in my community, talking about all the public schools that have high number of incidents like this. It's because students are trying to readjust to a system that it wasn't actually meant for them to begin with, and it's not going to be for them forever. And now they're wondering what's, you know, the issues, because we closed down the community centers, we closed down the libraries, we closed down the wellness centers, we closed down the recreation of parks and rec, we closed down structures in parks, outdoors. Do you remember that? We closed down structures in parks and in parks. We closed down, we told everyone to stay home, 
And yet people were on their online. And if if anyone remembers Andy's episodes, what were you do what were the students doing when they showed up on your online class? Did you see them? Boxes and boxes of black screens because no one showed up showing their face. Of course not. I know I just went on Saturday to a theater to a theater piece for a student of my former colleague, uh, their daughter. And they had their mask on, not because of COVID. They wanted to hide. They wanted to not show themselves. They're not dealing with themselves. They're not able to deal with the 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 environment, the real environment. They have to go online and be on their phones. No, so I think that that's what's happening now. If people are not using kids are not using masks for este for COVID, they're using it for covering because they're not dealing with their insecurities, you know, and it's hard. I understand insecurities are hard, but you have to confront if you have braces or glasses or this, if you look this way or whatever, those are part of life in society. Um, Dea, you mentioned about this hate from teachers. I don't experience the same thing that you experience. Obviously you have your own experience and I want to honor what you've experienced. I'm not saying that you're wrong. I don't think that you're wrong. I believe you when you say that because I know you've worked and you've, you've volunteered a lot in your child's school. Uh, for me, from being on the other side of not family, just working in schools, I, I think what I noticed was teachers sort of have this kind of air of pretentiousness or the status of knowing it all or being sort of mm, patronizing, condescending. And if you are a parent that doesn't have your vocabulary or you don't know the ins and outs, or you're the kind of parent that sort of has holds down three jobs or two jobs, or you speak Spanish as your first language and you're struggling like my mother did in English or, you know, and accents do for, you know, accents do change the way that you listen to someone. It, there's like, there's like lots of studies that people do actually discriminate just by listening to people's voices. Yeah. You're going to discriminate. You're going to be patronizing. You're going to think you're big boss or whatever and you're going to just put down people i know this because i see it all the time my child goes to an mission mission elementary school and if i go versus another parent goes i know what happens behind closed doors i say hold on my child doesn't have to take this test or my nephew and it's not my my, my biological it's my biological child but not my my son my nephew doesn't have to take this test or my nephew is saying, you know, he was sat at the bench. How long was he sat in the bench? You know, there's a policy for this or whatever. Or, you know, when you start talking in this language, teachers are sort of like, oh, you know something. <laughs> Suddenly the emails start going and then you're the only parent noticing all this. Like I help my brother out with the emails and then they're just getting all these emails and start freaking out. But if you're not in the emails, if you're not at the school and it was for many schools and I, and I suggest, not suggest, I, I suspect that what many Latino families had wasn't the emails, but they had was going physically in the school and talking about these things. They may not have had the language. They may not have had the knowledge. They may not know about what, what the educational things to do, but familias would be at the school and they would observe, they would see, they would look, and then they would say, hold on, maestra, hold on. I don't know if that my child... That's what would happen. That's what they would do. They don't have access to that because no one lets them in anymore. So obviously their child goes in, they have no idea what's going on. And how are you supposed to learn if you don't, if you can't volunteer, if you're discriminating against the vaccinated, the, un, the unvaccinated, because you can't volunteer anymore if you're not vaccinated. So what's, what, what can you do? How do our families thrive? Our families are not going to thrive with just the little emails. 
you have to make sure. I, I'm okay with, I mean, I even get overwhelmed with the emails, but I'm okay with the school emails. I'll get to that. But most of our familias are not like that. They're not going to be emailing you. and to, Like you write letters there. How many of nuestras familias write letters? They don't. But when they're in the schools, they're seen and they're like, hold on, I have a question about that, you know, and they're not having access to any of that. Mm -hmm. And if they see a student uh, bully another, I don't use the word bully, but I'll just use the term for because conventional sake. But if they see a student bullying another student, they'll speak up for their children, you know, or they'll say something or they say, you know, I don't know about that student, maestra, or this, or that happened, or my child's not telling me, but I saw this or, you know. Or whatever they're 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 in the or whatever they're just more informed, but none of this is happening anymore. And again, this is all because of people's beliefs that uh, COVID is the issue. And I should mention here, not a single child has died of COVID in San Francisco. So I don't know why we're still having these precautions. And teachers are going out. I know this because of course I go out and I see them. Teachers are going out and they're taking off their masks. But they want masks in schools, right? Because we're afraid of our students. So it's the all of the cognitive dissonance and all of the conflict. It just it doesn't make any sense. I don't know what happened to teachers after COVID. I think it's a bunch of reasons. That, I mean, some of it is Trump derange syndrome. So other our, other of it is you know just the belief that they need uh, they need they they um, they rely more on the tech, you know, and they believe that's the way, that's the path. Um, so it could be many things, but I'll just say that I, I'm just kind of getting it off there because anyone can disagree if you want. No, you are right. You are right. Preach, brother. <laughs> yeah, 100% agree. I, I think it's so important that we never lose sight of that, that fact that the people in power, including school administrations and including teachers unions knowingly condemned young people like all over this country and the world to poverty to anxiety depression drug overdose physical issues mental health issues like knowingly because we had we had that information before it wasn't like oh whoops and now they're not gonna admit that they were wrong like we knew we knew what we were doing um i'm having a thought i'm i'm having a connection uh related to the the point that um well eduardo you just kind of touched on at the end there but then also there earlier you were talking about um parents being banned from the schools like physically banned during the the lockdowns um and I'm just, I'm making a connection and you guys can tell me, I don't know, I haven't thought this one through, but I was just, you know, thinking about this phenomenon of like being cut off from your child's experience, right? Like your teachers, like the, the, the access that you were just describing, Eduardo, parent-teacher conferences, like uh, volunteer programs, right? PTA, whatever, like just being completely cut off from your child's like daily environment that they're in for whatever eight plus hours a day um and like whether even if you do like believe the alleged justification of like oh it was for public health which none of us here believe that but you know I think even if you do it's that that like severing to me is kind of reflective of a larger phenomenon um in terms of sort of 
I don't know, like when we put it in the context of the whole like fourth industrial revolution um, program, right? Like targeting the youth, targeting children, stripping them of every protection that they have and, and what's like the primary protection that most children have in, in any context, right? It's their parents, especially their mothers. Um, and then kind of like molding them, you know, to fit a system and serve a system that is like not designed to make them happy or make them healthy, right? It's designed to it just enslave everybody. Um, and I don't know, my mind's just going, um, I'm thinking about like, usually on, on average, like more right-wing white parents, you know, in other parts of the country um, and the way, like the debates that are going on in terms of uh, like kind of between teachers and parents or I, I guess like school institutions and parents in terms of curriculum, you know, and like the disalignment between different cultural ideologies that are being pushed in schools, right? Um, like I'm thinking of the, like the Florida bill, um, you know, and the way, I mean, the media framed it, especially in terms of like, you know, sex ed and gender and stuff. And, and, and that was part of it, but like a lot of that bill, if you actually look at the bill, it, it's, it's, most of it is actually to do with like privacy and and um, parental rights to know what's going on with your kid at school. And so I'm just seeing like a connection here in terms of um, like whether it's testing kids for COVID without consent from parents, which has happened repeatedly in different areas, um, you know, put, putting them in isolation without the parents even knowing, right? Like in the middle of the school day, just like, whoop, take them out of class because they're contagious or they're whatever. Um, or like the more, what tends to be the more like right-wing framing, which is more like of the identity-based stuff, um, you know, or whether it's like like therapy files. Um, um, yeah, and just, I don't know, just like this whole pattern of of breaking families and I think a lot of people would hear your story, Daya, and be like, well, why don't you just pull your kid out of school? Like, obviously, it's a toxic environment, but I think, you know, they're they're missing your point about, no, like, I'm not just fighting for my kid. I'm fighting for all of the kids, right? Because not everybody can just pull their kid out. Uh, yeah. And I think there's, I mean, there's so much class solidarity at the top, like, as always, right? But the fragmenting, you know, and the way, like, even in your instance where, like, you actually able, you were able to mobilize some parents and try to push back, like, I'm just imagining, like, well, what if parents could do that, you know, and also cross political lines? Um, that's kind of where my mind was going in terms of drawing that connection is not necessarily to, like, equate the two. Um, but I think there's, it, there's something, like, there's an underlying tension there that I'm like, well, gosh, if we had that kind of solidarity, right? Like maybe we could push back. Um, yeah. I don't know. And a lot of this is, I don't know, because I teach university, like I'm pretty insulated from like, dealing with parents at all. <laughs> like mm -hmm. part of why I originally wanted to teach university. I'm like I don't have to deal with the, that, but um, I don't know. Does that make sense? Like, I don't know. Yeah, totally. Yes. And um, you know, it's, it's, it's exactly what you said. They, that's what they are doing. They are trying to it, 
separate uh, the kid from from especially the mothers, right? The, the, the parents, um, and conditioning them and isolating them and damage them, um, it, it because that's what they have done. They did that when they came uh, with the residential schools with the indigenous people. I mean, those are the same practices. This is exactly what 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 they are doing. It's exactly the same thing because it's the same pattern that they have been using, and they know that it works to crash people and to you know destroy communities. That's what they did with the African Americans, and that's what they are doing. They are trying to do with us. Um, it, it it what what I'm saying right now is that they. It was very interesting when we did have the meeting with the people at the central office, uh, when I said, you put these communities together and you didn't uh, have the resources for them, you didn't have a plan for this. When you put newcomers, uh, the, the uh, um, bilingual kids and the only, only um, English speaking only kids together and among them, African-Americans and, you know, all together in one place with one teacher, how the teacher is going to be able to, no one is going to be able to teach these kids if it if doesn't have support, doesn't have other uh, people working with other kids that do not speak English and don't have training for this. It's not easy. It's very complex. Uh, and it needs to have a specialized um preparation and help and they didn't do that so I told them and and, and when when he said he, this the supervisor of the middle schools he said oh we did have a plan but it didn't work of course what didn't work for them is that they didn't have they didn't plan that moms are going to be uh, advocating and are going to be on top of them asking for 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 a safety plan asking for it to correct these things they they didn't have that plan that's what they didn't work for them they didn't they didn't work it didn't work for them that um, i'm going to be speaking up and the, when they were trying to keep me silent i could go around and now i am in the media right they didn't plan that that's the plan that they didn't have because they were trying to have the escalation of violence just right at the beginning of this, by November, by December, they wanted to have something awful happening, happening so they can say, oh, we have to close the school because the violence is so bad that we need to close the schools. That was, that, that was happening. So yes, they are doing and they are applying the same thing because they know it works. Um, just crashing the communities, but they don't know about solidarity. And that's what I'm trying to do to build these communities of, and, and solidarity to, to the people and among us, because this is the only thing that's gonna help us. That's the only thing that's gonna save us all, right? So hopefully we can have, I mean, more and more parents are coming and they are um, showing support. And that's my, you know, that's my, that's my hope because it, many of them don't know. I have been fighting not this, but I have been fighting also against the the, the vaccination, against the the testing. Um, I had to put in, uh, you know, underline this. I did send at the, that was by January or February. I did send a do not consent letter, and that was a letter be, because I am not vaccinated and I am connected with freedom people, and I have been going to 
law workshop with lawyers to learn how to protect our kids. So I did send a, a letter, a do not consent letter, because yeah, they were trying, they were about to have my kid to perform the, the, the testing to my kid without telling me. And I, you know, they they called me just before they did. And I said, I do not consent. Do not do it because I do not consent. So I do have a letter that is very well written, legally written uh, to, to them. And I, I, I sign it and I send it. So they know that if they, they touch my kid, they could face, uh, you know, a legal consequence. That's what they are going, you know, targeting me and targeting my kid. But they were doing this to, to they are doing this to all the families and they don't know. And I, I'm not being able to help them right now because, you know, I have been fighting for myself. I'm terminated. I was terminated for my job because of no vaccination policy because I didn't comply. I'm fighting for my kid, you know, trying to keep him. Um, not vaccinated, going to in person because the most important thing for him was to be with friends. So he, he could say, I want to be with my friends. I want to go to school because I want to be with my friends. The school is, you know, he's the language, but he said he, school is shit, but I want to be with my friends. You know, I'm not learning anything. It's very boring. Okay, that's basically wherever you go, the schools are like that. But he wants to be with, their friend, with his friends and he's having an experience because the, 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 school, the, the school composition is, is mostly Latino. Uh, what I see there, most of the kids are fine. They, they, you know, they, it would be better, sorry, it would be better if we do have all the programs to help them, but they are fine. As long as they are together, they are fine. That's what we are fighting for, to have the kids in a safe environment and healthy environment, right? So he's basically having the experience at school, you know, just making fun of with the, with the kids. Just for example, I'm going to give you an example. He wants, they skip the PE classes because they are not doing anything. And they go around the school to explore the school because they don't know, right? So they found a room full of a lot of things. And among them, they, they, among those things, they did have balloon, water balloons. So they started uh, filling up the balloons and then just throwing the balloons and they were throwing to the, to the, to the floor so, make, so they can make the teachers that are going after them to make them fall. So like they are having fun, right? Those are the kind of things that we did. I mean, because the Latino are kind of more like that, that couldn't happen with, with a bit in a school with Chinese students or white students that gonna happen there right so i'm just trying to save those experiences because that's positive for him they are doing their own positive experiences but they need to have a structure they need to they need to be teach and they are not you know they need to be taught so that's why we are fighting that's what we are fighting so i'm keeping him because he is with latino people he is with the latino community and that's important for me because I am coming from a school with more white and affluent uh, community, more white and affluent people, and I really don't, didn't like it. There's just, um, so you were saying that, you know, they didn't have a plan, right, to, for coming back and like making sure the kids would be taken care of their emotional, mental health. And um, in the show, we've talked extensively about the fourth industrial revolution, technology, you know, in the role that is coming down um, and the role it has in capitalism. And so 
I also hear, you know, when we started this episode, um, you talked about the walkie-talkie principle, right? Yeah. You talked about the breaking down of, you know, the social bonds, the isolation. You know, we talked about the, you know, like the, the what they did to Native American people, right? To uh, break those social bonds. Um, it, it all reminds me of mass incarceration. Yep. You know, we, we've talked about it, right? Like, in, in, you know, it reminds me of, you know, what's happening at the border, right? With immigrants, undocumented immigrants. And so what I guess what I want to say is, and want to see what you think about it, is like, they didn't have a plan to bring us together, but they do have a plan to make the most vulnerable first words of the state. You know, it, 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 and I think technology is going to have a role in that. And so I, I kind of want to gather your thoughts on that, um, you know, and, and, and what do you, you know, you know, make of that? Yes, word that's what it is. That's what it is. They they just want the kind of the 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 next prisoners. I mean, they 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 are creating, you know, the the, the people that are going to go to the prison because that's that's the business for them, and it it's you know the schools are the fabric for that. Basically, that's what I'm seeing. And I have told to the to, to everyone, even to the principal and to the board of education and every, everybody, I have said this, you know, when I see the kids doing the, the recess, uh, it, I told them that resembles like a jail. Like you are creating this, you know, you are conditioning these kids to, to, to what is going to be next to the the, the jail for them and that's what I'm fighting for because it's just this is not right I mean they are doing this to my kid they are doing this to my all my my kids classmates this is what they are doing to to us to the community and I have said uh, to the to the, the people that are interviewing me this is the reason why only the two percent of the Latino uh, people get to the university and are professionals even though we we are a big community because of the system. The system is the, the, the is creating this, and this needs to change. This needs to change. We cannot continue like that. We need to fight for that. This is the reason why our kids are not getting education, our, our, our young people, our, our Latino uh, young people are not getting to the university, are not advancing in, in you know, their careers or being professional because the system is not educating our kids it's segregation system this is the segregation and they they have it very you know in place they have a very good system in place because it's the same system that was made by whites for whites and privileged well i was just going to add that you know, we've been, you know, it's unfortunate there that you are sharing with us that you are not able to retain your job because of your um, medical status regarding your vaccine. And, and says it's unfortunate that that lots of people are losing their jobs and the Latino community is one of the highest communities. I don't know about Black community at this moment, but I haven't read about it. But I know the Latino community is one of the most skeptical um, communities around the vaccines in Latin America and in the USA and there. So I I wanted to talk just for a bit, if that's okay, if we can just steer that way, because it's something that's affected students. And I know that lots of families where I'm at in my school have discussed with me privately that the pressures and why they got their children vaccinated, they felt very pressured by the 
uh, campaigns, the very aggressive campaigns to to uh, pressure families into vaccinating their children um, and giving only one side and not giving a, a full, like, okay, here, like, you know, they're supposed to give a, schools are supposed to be a sort of neutral place and you're supposed to, but it's not uh, sort of a, you know, what you decide on your own, but they didn't. So I'm sure that you know about families as well that have felt the pressure, that have felt the, yeah. um, or have had vaccinations because of under, they're under duress or their children. Yes. They don't want to feel left out, so they have to. Those are they're the ones who are also saying, you know what, just vaccinate me, you know. And that for me is something that I have seen in the Mission District, is yes. and it's very unfortunate. And here we are on the during this week of conversations of Roe versus Wade about pro-choice and bodily autonomy, and just to make the connection to current events, how are the liberals and progressives talking about bodily autonomy, talking about pro-choice, my body, my choice, and then stupidly saying, uh, oh, mandate, obligate people to take things that are not part of your choice and that you're just going to ask people to, to get, to, to exclude them from society and to inject them um, through pressure campaigns against their will or under duress. Right. Yeah. So I don't see how, you know, it doesn't make any sense. And so it's just it's 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 also just conflicting the messaging to our children in schools when you're telling them, as I know, San Francisco, Oakland, all of the area are mostly liberals and progressives that are teaching these schools. And they're talking about fatherly autonomy at the same time telling you. And uh, make sure you get vaccinated. Don't forget to get to your families or, you know, you don't have to talk to, like, it, it, it's so, it, it doesn't match what, you know, it doesn't, there's no consistency there. And yeah, so, that's the um, hypocrisy. That's no, what people, that's yeah. the hypocrisy. That's what uh, families are from the Latino community are realizing, are opening their eyes and seeing that. That's a hypocrisy. And that's it. You know, there's no, that, um progressiveness uh, you know now we see the real face of the liberals and, and the progressives that's what it is now we Kenny, see. you were going to yeah no, yeah i just wanted to add spe specifically to the mission you know in san francisco the same community that this school right Everett middle school is belongs to um you know uh a lot of community organizers are themselves part of that this campaign to pressure people uh, and to also force people to uh, basically get vaccines without full consent, without full knowledge yeah. you know, of these uh, vaccines. You know, I myself have been ostracized, you know, uh, and, and completely cut off from the organizing circles because of, in part because of my stance on, on the vaccine, because I'm, I'm not to be touched, you know. And, and so these people like Calle 24, that nonprofit, you know, <laughs> yeah. are the ones pushing this madness, even though... You know, in the mission, it's same community. A lot of businesses were not enforcing the vaccine. You know, a lot of Latino businesses were not. I was going to concerts, mass gatherings, doing, you know, of people, Latino people undermining these things. And we stayed quiet because we didn't want clampdowns, you know, on, on this. So there yeah. is, in fact, a lot of resistance, hesitancy, and in, 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 like you said, Eduardo, skepticism around this vaccine that was being played um, in the background. By, you know, by the people that are quote unquote uneducated, by the people that are educated in nonprofits, we're the ones pushing this bullshit 
you know, just like you're mad at teachers, I'm mad at organizers that, <laughs> yeah. that, that, that uh, you know, are, are part of creating this prison for our kids, you know, are yeah. part of creating this coercion in, in, in this mess that, again, this, I think the school is a microcosm of, you know, the society as a whole, you know, our yeah. community as a, as a whole, you know, they didn't, they, they, not only did they stop kids from going to school and socializing and, and keeping those social bonds, they also stop things like the carnaval, right? They, they stop a lot of social activities that held the social fabric of this society. So I don't know, I think we're still gonna see the aftermath of all this, but again, I hold the people responsible, the, 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 the people that say they're about people, the people that say they're about community, they, are not. they say they're about freedom, you know, those people I hold responsible for this. Just like you're mad at teachers, mad at organizers, you know, and I don't care if they don't talk to me now, but you know, like it's just like if even if they were wrong before, it's time to get it right. It's time to see what the hell has happening. It's time to see what the hell is coming down, you know, the pipe, because this is just the beginning of a fight. Just like you know, they are yeah. multiple friends. This is not just about a vaccine, you know. Like in their story, will tell you that this is not just about vaccine. This is about the future of society. You know, this is about capitalism. This is about you know corporations. This is about corruption in institutions, in unions, in city politics. You know, it, it, and so it, it's bigger than the vaccine. You know, like this fight is not doesn't end here. You know, if anything, this is the beginning. Even if we're not getting you know pressure publicly, you know, there is still pressure. There's still pay, people paying the price for not you know uh, adhering to the the mandates. There's still people like they are getting you know ostracized and you know whose lives have been turned upside down people like Lipson who had to move up you know outside of Mission High School you know from the same community again and so I'm talking to the community people you know the people who yeah. cl claim that are about community you are losing important people you are losing people who are consistent you know about the values people who will go to work people who actually you know care you know and so let's stop the facade that we care that's what I'm, that's what, that, you know, they stop the facade that we're about community, you know, because a lot of people are not, you know, and, and so, and again, and, and I don't want to just shame people, you know, it's like, let's get our shit together, you know, let's regroup, let's build our community back, let's take it from, you know, the control of these, you know, tech fucking oligarchs, let's take it from the control of these city bureaucrats, let's stop asking for permission to do anything. I want to say, I just realized we all have some form of connection to like, you know, Kenny in the Mission District with the organizing community, Stedea with the families, and Andy, former vice president mm -hmm. candidate of, of, the, of the union of San Francisco, vice president, you were running to be vice president and, and very heavily involved. Everyone run, ran to Andy for, to, for union representation and me with my teachers and I'm being called anti-teacher, Andy's being called anti-union. Uh, anti-organizer over there, an anti-worker over there, and there's just all of this attacks, you know, for people who are just, we're on this, we're, <laughs> I don't know what happened, but, you know, it's just like, it, there's so much of this division that has caused, and they're the ones, and we're standing for families, workers, or teachers, and everyone, and here we're being labeled such the opposite, Do you know. By the way, I just wanted to tell, and I don't know if Jessica wants to add any of this, but you can still get abortions, and if you can't get an abortion, go to Mexico. It's always been the Underground Railroad, for everything, for escaped escapees of slaves from the very beginning of time, and for HIV medicine when they didn't approve it, and for uh, vaccine cards if you need one, 
and for pills for abortion. So Mexico is a place to go if you need to go down south and get anything that you need there. So just contact your local Mexican. So. <laughs> Jessica, are you going to say something? Because I was going to. Okay. No, I'm not going to say anything on Roe v. Wade because that's going to be another episode. <laughs> but um, no, yeah, the, the hypocrisy is this week. Yeah. And I think we need to have another episode, complete episode about that. <laughs> oh my God, yeah. Um, but no, and I, yeah, I just, I feel for you and I hope you're going to keep fighting in whatever ways you can. And um, yeah, I mean, we have four, I'm not in San Francisco, but I mean, four out of five of us here are, like you're saying, um, Eduardo community members. So it just shows like, you know, even out of this relatively speaking small community, like there are people who are willing to show solidarity and willing to fight and we might have to keep kind of reinventing the way that we go about that. But I am hopeful and I think there's more people waking up to sort of just what's been going on in our school systems for a lot longer than COVID, right? And it's, mm -hmm. in a way, I suppose it's pushing us um, and kind of forcing us to have to contend with some of that stuff, um, which, you know, people like Latino students have been dealing with for decades. So yeah, it's not, it's not easy, but I hope, I hope we're going to get somewhere positive in the end. Yeah, let's hope that. Together, I think we can make it. I'm, yeah, I'm positive that we can make it. I have to say I, I agree with Eduardo when he says that teachers are not going to accept that they've done anything wrong here, and they're going to continue to double down on this direction um, that they've gone in. Um, but I think it is, I want to say something, I want to, if we're going to end, I want to say something about why I think schools are being destroyed. Um, because we had Allison on last week, and she talked about NAFTA, as part of a plan of getting entire Mexico to be part of a big data analytics, social impact investment experiment that was then gonna be sent around the world. So destroy Mexican economy so you can make Mexi uh, people in Mexico dependent on the Silicon Valley, US, Western investment and Western investor state. And that's what I think is going on here. I think the, the school system is being systematically destroyed so that essentially, as the World Economic Forum says, we are going to have online or robot teachers by 2027. And they, they, you know, just to read this part of how they see AI, not just AI is cheaper than teachers because it, you know, they don't ask for pay raises and like that, but they talk about this. They say classrooms could be equipped with language processors, speech and gesture recognition technology, eye tracking and other physiological sensors to collect and analyze information about each student. Instead of waiting for a test or a raised hand for a student to display her understanding of the material, teachers could access real-time information that could show them why the student might not be learning at full capacity. Um, they'd know which students weren't getting enough sleep, if they had, had an inadequate diets, if they were suffering from emotional distress, information that it can affect the student's performance, but they can be difficult to tease out in the classroom. What they've essentially done is as they, as they essentially terrified students out of schools. If they, as they get them to flee the schools, the only educational options, well, two things. One is the only educational options that will be provided for these kids are gonna be outside this school system that they're trying to get rid of as brick and mortar in the first place. But secondly, the teachers who are remaining, 
if they're going to be teaching all the kids who are, whatever kids are there, they're going to provide them the AI that's going to be used to one, monitor what the teacher is doing. And then as we can see, monitor what all these students are doing, which then only is then the part of that big data analytics, which only builds the bigger AI. So they've just like NAFTA was the crisis that creates the solution of, you know, co collecting data on the entire Mexico and South America. This, this problem, COVID and the way the pandemic was handled was the crisis that could create the solution that allows them to actually do the, uh, the thing of destroy the brick and mortar schools, not just last year when we were in remote, but now start the whole process of degrading the whole thing, breaking up any of the relationships that kept it together, and then justifying the, a system of full surveillance monitoring of the students and the teachers. And in the, and in the process, creating an AI that replaces us as teachers and replaces student experience of each other or with a teacher with something that is just that, which is like, which is just tech. Um, and, you know, this, this is, this is to me very much connected to Allison's view of how all of us are going to be treated like the indigenous work. We will all be displaced. We will all be separated. We will all be isolated. And this is the prison vision that they're building for us. And they think they can get, they think they can have these folks online by 2027. And so when I heard Dea's um, story and when I saw it reflected in things I was hearing about mission, and then when I see even what's happening in my existing school, I'm here right now, how they make it so that you, that people are less and less interested in being in these buildings, uh, not just the students, but the teachers themselves, then to me, I can see how they're, they're nudging us into this future. Yeah, I'm thinking about those, was it like Mexican mothers or young women and how Allison was saying that, like how valuable that data, like those populations specifically is even more pivotal and more valuable to them at this point because it can help them build that system. And it's like, yeah, the, the students at this middle school, like that's the data they want, right? And then what do they get? They get surveilled 10 times harder. They get exploited 10 times harder. It becomes even more of a prison. Yeah. My community organizing angle is that, you know, that you have people claiming inequality, right? When it comes to technology and, te and like barriers to technology as being the problem, <clears throat> realizing that, you know, that's, ex that's exactly what they want us to do is to ask for it, you know, as a solution when reality is a prison uh, that we are building ourselves in, you know, just like indigenous people, uh, you know, like the people that claim to be their friends <laughs> were the worst enemies, you know, because uh, they were saying, we're here to help you. Um, I think that that's where the role of, at least in my view, community organizers have that, you know, they're the ones pushing the stuff that's good for you, quote unquote. I agree with with that statement, and I think again, once again, ever the school was a school that they have um, cho choose to uh, have everything in place. I mean, this kind of the poloid uh, program for for them to implement all of this, beginning with with you know the the. The implementation of, of iPads, uh, I think from Verizon, they had a grant that 
gave to the average students every every student iPad from Verizon. So from the beginning of this, and I and I thought I I saw this at the beginning, and I also sent a letter at the beginning of this saying that I don't want my kid to to be using the iPad, and I don't want him don't I don't want him to be. Um, doing the surveys because I think they were doing the surveys all of the all of the um, warnings that Allison was you know giving I, I was just listening and reading about that and everything was happening just as she said so I said from the beginning I don't want that I sent a letter I mean I don't consent uh, my son to participate in any kind of experiment and not nothing right no medical no um pro computer experiments nothing of that i don't want him to be uh, answering any surveys because they were doing all of this um at the beginning when the behavioral issues were more more intense the kids because of everything that they have they were doing to the kids and giving them the computers, I mean, giving them the iPads and forcing them to 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 basically, you know, I, I guess what they were trying is to moving them to the digital thing, put them putting the kids on the, on the on the iPads as a training, right? But what happened with every after coming from the pandemic, coming from Zoom, kids didn't want this, and what what it was happening is the kids were destroying the iPads. They destroyed the computers, they destroyed the iPads. You know, that that was the very first thing where they showed um, the frustration and they were destroying the material things, right? Plus they did have, everything was planned. They did have on TikTok, they were telling the kids to, to beat teachers, to destroy the schools. They were doing that through TikTok, those challenges. So they destroyed the iPads, they destroyed the computers. So I, in one sense, I was happy because they was they were destroying the very first thing they, they tried to use to have the kids condition it and put them on on digital, you know, training to, to have the digital education. So the kids destroyed that, that. They don't want that. They said they don't want it. But now it seems for next year, they are planning to have, again, another new batch of computers or iPads for the kids. Um, and that's part of the fight that we are saying, no, we don't want that. And that's part of the intervention that we want. That's why I have been fighting and advocating for the outdoor learning for the schools and fighting so hard to have them um, building the outdoor uh, learning classrooms forever it based on the problems that we have that we need to have the kids outside and for the mental health and emotional health that we don't want them in the computers so that has been part of the fight and part of the advocacy yes because we don't want computers but it's a fight it's going to be it's going to be a fight and part of this is organizing with the parents and um educating the parents about what's going on and you know opening helping them to open the eyes of what's what what's the plan and what's really going on well, that was a very lively discussion. I think that we've gotten a lot from <laughs> from everyone. Thank you so much, Deb, for participating with us. It's always a pleasure having you on, especially since you are 
a part of the mission community and you are sharing your experience with us and thank you for bringing in the insights of what's happening at your child's school uh, which is also like i had said in the very beginning which is a microcosm which is a reflection of other public schools in the usa so i thank you for that all right and you are not anti-worker by the way as some people have alleged you are it's, by the way there <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of ridiculous one uh, a working a working mom is against work workers <laughs> and you were a one of the frontline workers you were a hero exactly <laughs> we applauded them in the beginning and said and now, out exactly all right <clears throat> Well, that does it for this week's episode. What's left is a weekly political podcast slash channel challenging the mainstream left. We post information about our topics and our guests uh, on the episode notes where we found this episode or on our blog at what-s-left.webnote.com. You can find past episodes to this podcast slash channel there and connect with us. I remind folks, if you like anything you have heard here, please support us by subscribing, rate, review, turn on your notifications to any of our platforms on Spotify, iTunes, Podcast, Stitcher, Google Play, BitChute, Odyssey, YouTube, Rumble, or Telegram. And you can always find any of that information on our blog and the links to those in the episode notes where we found this episode. Um, and if you would like to give us feedback about something you've heard or suggest something for us to cover, contact us through our blog. Este, I'm Eduardo Atka with co-hosts Jessica, Kenny Cepeda, and Andy Lipson. Thanks again for joining us, Danira. We'll see each other again some other time. Ciao. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah.